Welcome to another episode of Kaiju Transmissions. Uh, I'm your co-host, Matt, and with me is... Kyle Bird. You yeah, stepped you out... We, we brought you outside your comfort zone. So you yeah, can, I tried you... to do the, uh, the intros. Um, I'm going to get right to the cool thing, which is we have two uh, special guests today. We have uh, Tom, a.k.a. Jelly, who you know from several episodes. Say, say a thing, Tom. A thing. <laughs> Wiener. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we also have Kevin Derendorf from the Mazer Patrol podcast. Not well, and actually the blog that he does, uh, which is probably more what we've been on. But I don't know. Anyway, Kevin, say a thing. <laughs> a thing. There we go. Still the best blog for your Japanese pop culture needs. Uh, honestly, it's the only one that I read consistently. So that, that'd be cool. <laughs> Well, that's weird because I don't update consistently. <laughs> well, I go back to like the <laughs> archive. <just> <laughs> Matt just reads the same one, or the same whatever the latest one is, over and over. I'm like, I'm clicking refresh and wondering why it's not working half the time. That sounds about my uh, my computer. My computer. He's calling his ISP. He's like, the new Mazer Patrol's not loading. <laughs> We're uh, now. I guess. Uh, this is timely, so this will come out right away, but uh, if it sounds like Kevin's been on this podcast before based on our banter, it's because he has. The peeps just haven't heard it yet, but he recorded something, a little something with us about a month ago. This is like when, um, when TV shows would like air episodes out of order for whatever uh-huh. reason. <laughs> Like, I think that happened last year when they brought X-Files back. They aired, like, episode five first or something. That's what this is like. It happened with... There's there's a couple episodes of Scrubs where, like, Dr. Cox has a shaved head and then hair and then shaved head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I love Scrubs. I mean, I I would go with Godzilla the series, but, you know, that's that's me. I was thinking (laughs) that in my head, but I didn't want to sound... I didn't want to sound like a nerd. (laughs) 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 Alright, we're here here to talk about something. Uh, A Pacific Rim something. Specifically? Wait, a... uh, This is going really well, guys. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's okay. I think I just had a stroke. Uh, uh, A Pacific Rim Uprising... This is all going about as well as the production on the movie. Oh, already already hitting some low blows there. Um, well, there weren't enough movies with the word rise in the title in the past decade, so, you know. Oh, yeah, Dark Knight, Rise, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, Ra- yeah, Ra- Van Wilder 2, Rise of Taj. <laughs> that's, a, that's a deep cut. That's a deep cut bird. <laughs> Uh, so it's finally here, guys. The Pacific Rim sequel. Woohoo! I, th- I think it's been five years, and um, and this was the best they could do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't go that far. Uprising is called, and uh, as much as I love the first movie, I don't. It it pretty much wrapped it up. You know, the, I don't think anyone walked out of it thinking, like, we need a sequel to this. Um, 
But then it made uh, like a gazillion dollars in China, and everyone said, hmm. And that's where we have Uprising, which came out last week. I don't know, should I do the rundown of the... Just just do it, Bird. You, you know you want to. All right, well. Uh, okay, so there's not too much history here, because they just kind of like ended up throwing it together after some setbacks. But essentially... After the first movie uh, came out, uh, Guillermo del Toro, the director, was working on writing a a sequel, and at that point, I mean, no one knew if a sequel was actually going to get made. I think everyone was kind of like, eh, this sounds like another del Toro thing that's not going to happen. But uh, he ended up making Crimson Peak for Legendary uh, after that, and then... Pacific Rim 2 would have been his next movie, and he'd done a few drafts of the screenplay with Zach Penn, and then, uh, you know, they were about to get greenlit, I think, and then Legendary was sold off to the Chinese conglomerate, uh, the Wanda Company, and because of that, it basically stalled everything, and they told him he'd have to wait somewhere around, like, at least nine months, and uh, that's around the time Fox had let him know that they could greenlight Shape of Water, which was a movie he'd wanted to make since 2011, and he said, uh, well, I'm gonna go do this. I'm not waiting forever. And, uh, I think that worked out to his benefit. Yeah, I mean... A little bit! A little bit, yeah. (laughs) Quite quite a bit, yeah. Um, so then, uh, he kind of helped them find a replacement, and Legendary hired Stephen S. DeKnight, which was, he's mostly a TV guy, a lot on the producing end, uh, but he was a showrunner on Daredevil Season 1, um, he was a producer on Smallville, he's directed a lot of TV, this was his first movie, and I will find, we'll we'll talk about maybe if this was the right idea, but they just... Threw everything out and started from scratch. Um, the There were some ideas that Del Toro talked about w- during the making of the first one, where he'd want a sequel, like a, um, a certain character uh, becoming a villain, and uh, the idea of having kaiju and Jaeger hybrids. Um, but yeah, they pretty much just rewrote the whole thing. Um, Charlie Hunnam was supposed to come back to play Rally, and... Um, as he was coming close to signing on for it, uh, his passion project, which is a remake of Papillion, got the green light, and he was like, okay, I'm out of here. Um, but they didn't want to wait around, just because they felt like if they're going to make a sequel to Pacific Rim, if it's going it, to... The, the sooner they can get it out, the better, because uh, they were already feeling like the window to make a successful sequel was closing. Um, and so... So yeah, then they had to rewrite it again, um, and then uh, the producers, Mary Parent and Del Toro, suggested, well, maybe Stacker Pentecost had an estranged son. And then they cast John Boyega, and then he also was added on as a producer, and his production company got involved. Um, and that's it. Uh, Del Toro has a producer's credit, but after DeKnight was hired, he really didn't do anything. Um from what I understand, he met with Del Toro once before he started, and Del Toro said, "You know, I'll be the kind of producer I like to, I that I want when I make movies, and that's hands off. So I'm gonna go do the the fish, my fish sex movie. And <laughs> if you need anything, you can call me. If but I'm not gonna get in your way. You're you're pr- pr- pretty much not gonna hear from me. 
Um, and then and he said, "Don't be afraid to make it your own. Make it a hundred percent you." Uh, and, uh, I guess now we'll get into a synopsis and we'll see if that was the best advice <laughs> to give him. Uh, so Tom, break it down. What, what, what's, what is, uh, what's this uprising? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> but so it's a good question only because of the marketing. I, just to before I get into the synopsis, um, remember when all the marketing was like, join the Jaeger uprising? Yeah. That's not really what the uprising of this movie is. But anyways, so um, this movie takes place, is it 10 years after the events of the first film? Um, and for literally no reason um, that is given at any real point, um, Jaegers have become even more prolific than they were during the time of uh, the Kaiju War. Um, there are Jaegers literally everywhere, and they patrol everything. And um, in this Jaeger-filled world, there are also Jaeger scrapyards, and uh, people can build their own Jaegers, which is okay. Um, and John Boyega, uh, what is it, Jake? Is he Jake Pentecost? Yeah, yeah. That's a, What a horrible, like, my name is Stacker Pentecost. Let me name my son Jake. Um, <laughs> so he, uh, he is Stacker's son. He lives in the, in the coastal cities, which he says, you know, have never really recovered from the Kaiju war. There's, you know, their skeleton, the Kaiju skeletons are still there. He, he squats in like a, a mansion that's got like half a Kaiju skeleton crushed on it. Like, and that's just where he lives. Cause he's, he lives there for free. Uh, and he roams the streets of this wasteland, stealing Jaeger tech from the scrapyards and selling it to people. And that's how he gets by. And he also, uh, like steals cars and sells them for Oreos and stuff. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that. Specifically that Oscars, which I think, uh, <laughs> given recent events, I don't know if that was, <laughs> if they had an inkling. <laughs> so, uh, so he uh, he is in this this Jaeger wasteland and and he goes inside a Jaeger. Um, maybe my favorite action sequence of the movie, actually, um, quite honestly, or at least the best the best done one. Um, and he go they go inside of this Jaeger to get a piece of tech. Him and this this group of banditos, um, and uh, he ends up kind of getting screwed over because someone else steals the tech before he's able to. And then these bad guys, they want to like get him cause they think he's screwing them over. And so he has to get out. Um, and he does, but you know, the police are now on hot on their trail cause, uh, they, they patrol these, these scrap yards or whatever. And, uh, he gets arrested. He gets arrested and he gets, uh, he gets this girl arrested. And, uh, this girl's name is, Amari Mamani or Mamari Mamani or whatever. Um, she is, uh, she's like a 15 year old hacker who has built her own little Jaeger, um, named Scrapper. I always want to call him Junker. Um, but so Scrapper, uh, and, um, 
she's got this this little Jaeger, and they end up getting getting captured by one of the Jaegers and taken back to the Shattered Dome. Um, and uh, the reason they go back there is because Jake is given a choice by his sister Mako Mori, uh, and the choice is you know you can either. This is this is like one of the worst tropes, um, but it's you can either go to jail or or join us and and fight with us because we totally want people who are uh, criminals in our uh, military, um, and so they uh, he decides to join and he's got to work with you know the straight laced guy. I don't know is his name Nick. <laughs> It's Scotty. It's uh, Scott Eastwood. Well, Scott Eastwood's the actor. Is, is you know, Lambert is the the last name. They got to train the young people, the the cadets. This group of cadets. While all this is going on, while they're training everyone, there's this company called Shao, I believe, um, and they plan to make Jaeger drones. Um, you only need one person to pilot it. The pilot can do it remotely. Um, they got these drones already coming down giant assembly lines. Uh, they're pumping out hundreds of them already before they even have the go-ahead to do it. Um, and what is happening? Why are they? Why are they all at that thing where where uh, where Obsidian Fury first attacks? They're all there so that something. It's a vote on whether to uh, deploy the drone program or not. I think. Are they? There's. Are they like? They're like running security, yeah. pretty much. Aren't yeah. They? For some yeah, reason, but... for, for some reason, five Jaegers are deployed for security for a vote on <laughs> w- whether to start the drone army. But good thing they were because Obsidian Fury attacks and uh, Mako Mori gets fridged. <laughs> <laughs> Cold um, <laughs> I, I I can go into a little bit. It's it's supplemental materials, but uh, there's you know there's a bunch of cultists that are outside, and the prequel novel deals with how they've been having trouble with cult terrorists and blah 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 blah. So, so that's is why that they supposed to be those. like the cult from the first movie? Yeah, they do briefly mention that in the movie. That's right. There's the the kaiju worshippers or something. Yeah, but it's um, super brief. I mean, like maybe. Five seconds worth of footage. Well, they know that that's like the the interesting concept that people want to see more of. So, so anyway, so uh, so Obsidian Fury attacks. He fridges Mako. Um, Now Jake is all sad, but Mako left behind one last little transmission to go to this place in Siberia and go check it out because it has some secret, awesome, amazing, super key link to. Obsidian Fury and this weird Jaeger that uh, seems to have come out of nowhere, and then Obsidian Fury just attacks them again, and we forget all about that stuff. Um, they beat up Obsidian Fury and they open it up, and it's got a kaiju brain inside where the uh, where the pilots would normally be, and so they take it back and they're looking at it and um, and they're they're examining it and. Uh, they they become convinced that Shao is behind this in some way, um, because it, the the line is like it's I can't remember exactly the thing, but they're like the synapse coils are wound counterclockwise, and they're the only ones who do that. Um, so because of like the coils on some tubing, um, they figure out that that sh- they think Shao is behind this. So they go to confront the CEO of Shao Industries. This uh, this this uh, 
this woman and um uh burn gorman goes to to try to like help uh charlie day take him down but um but something happens and um uh the kai the the kaiju basically all these drones are kaiju they have kaiju brains put in them um and then that somehow makes them able to turn into mecha kaiju all these like kaiju body parts start sprouting from inside the jaegers they get like all pointy and they get these big jaws and things and um they start trying to open new breaches all over the world and they open uh, a bunch of them, but you know they're able to close them. Uh, and but three kaiju get through, and this is where we get to our end game of the movie. Um, and if you remember anything about the first Pacific Rim, um, this end game makes makes literally no sense. But the whole purpose of the kaiju being on Earth is so that they can get to Mount Fuji and throw themselves in to Mount Fuji because their blood when mixed with lava will explode, ignite the entire ring of fire all along the Pacific Rim, kill all humans and terraform the earth and the aliens will be able to take over the earth. Um, they had to wait 65 million years to do that because <laughs> of reasons. Um, and, and that's the end game of the movie. Uh, let's go around, I guess, and give some initial thoughts. Uh, Matt, why don't you start? You've been quiet. We'll go Matt, then Kevin, and then we'll circle circle back around. So, yeah, Uprising. What'd you think? Uh, well, Kevin actually was traveling, and uh, he got to, he stayed at my place and uh, on his way to, to moving across the country. And we watched it together um, with one of my other friends. I think I, I felt like the consensus for us was kind of, eh, like... I, I enjoyed the movie for what it was, um, but it has a lot of just... It's just very ridiculous. Like, all the stuff that we talked about in the first Pacific Rim episode, the idea of physics and these things having weight, like, throw all that out the window. Like, they're doing backflips and, like, judo crap, and, like, they're flying around like Transformers, and um, it, it, it basically just kind of does away with that. Obviously, it fridges Mako Mori, which is one of the, the things everybody loves about the first movie. Um, and it does so like in the first, you know, what half an hour of the film. So I guess I feel, should we explain what fridging is for people yeah. who don't know? <laughs> for it, go for um, it. It's basically it, it was. It's a term that came into some mild popularity when, uh, like, you know, concurrent basically with the internet. Um, someone created a a blog called like women in comics in fridges or comic women in fridges or something and pointed out like there are multiple multiple instances in comic book history where a prominent female character from that comic book's past is killed and stuffed into a fridge just to advance the main male character's storyline. Yeah, the, the the trope came about because of uh, it was in an issue of uh, Green Lantern where Kyle Rayner's girlfriend was murdered. But we we use that not specifically for refrigerators, but anytime. So like, Batgirl was paralyzed by the Joker. Spoilers for a comic from the eighties, uh, in order to like motivate her father. 
to seek revenge. So anytime you have a, a case where, you know, a, a female character is killed or harmed in service of a male character's plot. Yeah. It happens on TV a lot. I think it just happens a lot in general. At this point. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so the, this movie uh, is not uh, Me Too sensitive. We'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Ke- Kevin, why don't you go ahead and like chime in? I mean, I've said kind of my initial impression. Uh, what, what were your thoughts? Well, di- Matt, didn't you make this poor man see it, a tw- see it twice? Well, yeah, he knew what he was getting into, though. I did warn him before he came. I, I actually, I liked it more the second time. The first time around when I watched it, I was just thinking, like, well, how would Del Toro have done this? Different. Ooh, he would have used different colors there. Ooh, yeah, this this scene, he would have written this differently. And, and the second time around, I sort of knew what I was getting into. So, I mean, also, seeing it, so the first time I saw it, I was in a theater that had three people in it on opening day which is a little depressing <laughs> but uh yeah the the second time seeing it with uh, matt and his friend that's that's three people right there so you know it's it's a bigger crowd <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we were holding down the fort yeah and there were there were parts where like when i first saw it i would like hold my he- head in my hands and be like oh god this is so dumb and like hearing your friend like cheering like oh yeah that's great like it was infectious so <laughs> Yeah, so so my friend, uh, my friend Justin is a uh, he, he's just a casual, you know, monster fan. Like he's gonna he's gonna go see the, the you know Godzilla two, and he loved the first Pacific Rim. So for him, this hit the, the typical you know blockbuster kind of buttons with all the action sequences and the, and the monster fights and the robots and stuff like that. So so it's it's a cool thing for him, but like for us who hold the first one in such high esteem for specific reasons and admire all the stuff that del, del toro did to make it grounded and, and yet still over the top and he balanced all this thing so per- perfectly this film is basically if michael bay directed pacific rim the first time like this is what michael bay would have done with it he i feel would have like made this it. is what people who saw the trailers for the first one and was like oh that's Bert. gonna be dumb i feel like this is the movie that that's exactly right Bert. It, yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely more rah rah go military. The characters aren't quite as well literally or figuratively colorful, uh, <laughs> and uh, there's you know for those of us that uh, paid close attention during that first movie, there's all sorts of things in the new one where like oh well that that doesn't make sense given what was established prior. But. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We're we're gonna we're gonna get there. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I I think. I don't know. My reaction was similar. Like I walked out of it and I was like, that was fun, but it was, but it's like fun for like some of the wrong reasons. I even think. And it was one of those movies where I was like, that was fun, but it was, that it was, it's bad. Like, uh, Tom, I think saw it before any of us. And he, he, one of the first things he said, he was like, it's a real, it's, he said it was a fun piece of shit. I was like that. Uh, that's uh, that about sums it up. Um, I mean, there's good stuff in here. Like I said, the entertainment value is relatively high. John Boyega is na- a naturally charismatic actor. Um, uh, the twist with Charlie Day's character, which we'll, I guess we'll talk about a little bit um, at, at some point, uh, is probably the only thing that felt genuinely creative and inspired about it. The re- it, it just felt like a kind of cookie cutter. And then, yeah, there's the the one the thing that made me angry was the Mako Mori stuff because the, I like I I think everyone considers that character the heart of the first movie. Like it, when people think of like what is Pacific Rim, 
it's hard not to think about Mako Mori, and she's the character with the best arc in the first movie. Uh, that character got people to rethink the Bechdel test, and there's the Mako Mori test, which is, you know, you have to have a uh, <clears throat> a female character who has an arc of her own that's not solely um, like uh, an effect of the the male arc um, or something like that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Point is, that was like. There's dumb stuff and there's stuff that contradicts the first one, but that just felt like disrespectful. Especially like, I just recently heard Del Toro say again that the reason, like, the thing that like got him off the fence to direct the first one when he was signed on as a producer was exploring the character of Mako Mori. Um, and yeah, and then just, I mean, that's going to sound kind of pretentious, but Del Toro is a, a a director who is a artist. You know, I mean, the the level of detail he puts into his movies and, you know, all the visual cues, like, you know, uh, the the color coding that he does in all his movies, including Pacific Rim, like, you that this movie doesn't have that kind of direction. It feel, And it feels like Stephen DeKnight was just like, I, I just want to make fun robot punching movie. And that was it, you know? Um... And I mean, I, I've seen him do good stuff. Like, I thought I really liked his season of Daredevil, but I don't know. It feels like he really just grasped the surface elements of what Pacific mm-hmm. Rim is and not, you know, why people like it as much as they do. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. And I, I don't think anyone has necessarily said anything different than what my initial thoughts were. And I mean, bird basically even said what my initial thoughts were is, you know, fun piece of shit. But, um, well, we, we knew we were in trouble when the first couple seconds of the movie were stock footage from the previous one. (laughs) Oh God. That intro (laughs) Uh, was like, they're almost trying to recreate like the info dump of the first one, but they do it with stock footage. And like, it feels like Boyega is like speed reading through this like convoluted. Yes. Like, um, Tom, you'll know this. Matt, you might. Uh, Kevin, I don't know if you would, but like, if you watch any of this, well, not just the superhero shows, but any show on the CW, like at the very beginning, the main character is like basically reading off the concept of the show, and as they go through, like, once they're on like season six. They, they're, like, recapping, like, seasons one through five, and it's like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And they do it in, like, 30 seconds. Yeah, he's like, he's like, my name is Oliver Queen. I used to be trapped on an island, but then I got off the island. Then I fought a bunch of hero, bunch of, bunch of villains, and then I got my own team, and now my team is all apart, and now I'm the Green Arrow. <laughs> yeah, dun, that's, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that's what it felt like to me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I remember, you know, just kind of going through like some of my initial thoughts specifically while I was sitting in the theater. It's like, it's like, yeah, definitely like right at the very beginning, I was like, Oh, Oh God, is this going to be even like worse than I thought? Um, and then, then, you know, I was kind of with it for a bit. Um, you know, like, like I said, I really liked the, the, the staging and the sequencing of that, that chase scene inside the Jaeger, um, it it felt tactile, you know. I mean, um, it didn't seem overly CG'd or anything like that. And you know, I thought the the little bit with the uh, 
the the hangar bay when when they're there or the doors and they're because you know the Jaeger's on its side and these guys are standing on a door and he hits a button and drops them out the door uh that was like a cool little bit and you know stuff like that i i was with it for a bit um and then uh obsidian fury shows up for the first time and he uppercuts uh uppercuts um gypsy avenger and it is the dirt worst physics of an uppercut <laughs> I have ever seen in anything ever. Um, like even in, you know, Sega Genesis fighting games, when you uppercutted someone, they went backwards and not just straight up into the air. <laughs> um, and that was, that was the moment where I was like, where I had to really very consciously start disconnecting myself from, um Pacific Rim and everything I like about Pacific Rim and everything that makes Pacific Rim special and everything that you know if I was a lot of times because Pacific Rim will come up when I'm like talking to people casually about movies um and and they're always like oh it's like such a dumb dumb crappy movie or whatever and I and I'm just like yeah it was like like I just kind of leave it very surface you know because I don't want to get into like a two hour long conversation about why I love Pacific Rim but all the things where if I was in a two hour conversation about why I love Pacific Rim I had to leave all of that stuff by the side and start thinking okay I do just enjoy shitty monster movies and this is what I'm going to be getting here um and that was the moment that uppercut was like the moment for me where I had to be like, okay, this isn't Pacific Rim anymore. This is something else. Um, and yeah, on that level, I, I enjoyed it, but it is, uh, a monumental piece of crap. <laughs> um, and, and I said that, you know, um, it, this, this might even end up being my final thoughts in a way too, but, um, as a follow up to del Toro's movie, it is a failure as a movie unto itself. It's a colossal failure. <laughs> um, but as a fun piece of crap that like the four of us like, because we <laughs> like movies like Godzilla versus Gagan and um, Gamera versus Gauss and Gamera versus Guiron and stuff like this movie is a lot of fun. It goes to sh- like, I, you said it, Tom, and I, I actually think it was a critic that said it first, but the first Pacific Rim uh, has been described as stupid done smart in that it's this silly idea concept that uh, someone, like, poured, like... I mean, think about it. Like, that was, Del Toro and Travis Beecham, that was, like, their baby, their, their passion project. They poured all this blood, sweat, and tears into it. All this intense attention to the physics and the monsters have to have the Nakajima uh, effect and all that and and this just did not seem like it had anywhere near that level of thought put into it and and it just I don't know it kind of robs it of being like an effective Pacific Rim movie but yeah then you have stuff that just makes no sense Uh, the Mount Mount Fuji stuff like (laughs) I don't know. That makes no sense. Well, Kevin's read, like, the prequel novel and the, the comics and stuff, so I don't know. Kevin, did that, does that ever come up? Like, were these monsters in the first one that were just going to random cities? Like, did they, were they just getting lost? What? what, what? 
that that was not explained. I mean, they they explain <laughs> how they how they find out about the kaiju blood and rare earth elements mixing, causing explosions. But that's that's about it on that front. So they so they don't uh, explain that like trespasser who attacked uh, San Francisco. Um, just like he should have made a left turn and made a right <laughs> by accident. And I mean, yeah. they also don't explain how like. You know, when characters that are drifting and therefore sharing a brain and all of their thoughts suddenly have to shout out at each other, let's go for its legs now! Like, so. <laughs> Speaking of which, when did drifting become so easy? Literally, yeah, overnight, basically. <laughs> and the, now they're drifting with random human brains that are, what the hell was that about? That was never explained either, was it? The whole tra- training situation. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. He just, <laughs> like, he just pulls the brain in the jar out. You're like, what the fuck are they... Do- what happened to that poor person? <laughs> That's the whole point of the first one, is they have to, like, learn to do it together. Yeah, so there's this, there's a brain that they use for training, and it appears to be a live human brain that they're now drifting with, and the, the whole thing is to train them how to drift. But, like, they never explain where it comes from. It's just assumed it's in this, like... It's housed in this cavity, and then John Boyega comes in the room, and he's like, "Yeah, let me drift with you instead. This might be easier." I'm like, "Wait, wait where'd the brain go? Where? What? What is going on?" Until proven otherwise, I'm going to assume it's Newt's ex girlfriend. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a. <laughs> Do they call her Sarah? Like Alice. right? I think oh, it's Alice. 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 Well, Sarah. Sarah's the one that they were using for training. Alice is. <laughs> Alice is the uh, the special Other. lady. Yeah, Al- Alice is Newt's. Kaiju brain that he bangs mind fucks <laughs> to to a foreigner song. By the way, I wanna know. I love it. Yeah, that, that was my terrible edition of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think we ever like. Do we talk about the fact that? And you, we were just talking about the kaiju going in different directions. But the whole thing is the premise for this is the monsters have to get to Mount Fuji, but like in the first go in opposite directions of Mount Fuji on purpose. And they make that seem like that they don't even understand what the monster's purpose was in the first film. They literally yeah, say, "Well, Why in the first one, they say they 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 aim for the most populated areas." In this one, they literally say, "Why are they attacking us? Is it to attack the most populated areas?" Like that's a line from the film, and I'm like, "Wait a second, did you guys not watch?" That someone's first- like, "No, that's not why." <laughs> <laughs> it's to throw themselves into Mount Fuji so they explode. <laughs> <laughs> They they seem to be under the impression that the breach was in like different places, but n- no. And also, like, why did the you know antiverse aliens the or the precursors, uh, if you uh, if you prefer that terminology, why do they need people on this side to open the the breach? Like, they just opened it themselves last time, and it seemed like as soon as the portals open in this movie, they have kaiju like ready to go. So you think that they could just open it on their side again? <laughs> yeah, they well, never. Yeah, why the, why uh, wouldn't they have just opened a bridge? Like hell, even when the uh, the uh, the uh, the mass produce Eva's. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thing. mean the the kaiju Jaeger hybrids. Even when, like, the first thing they do is they start opening up breaches. Why didn't they just... They can fly. Like, why didn't they just go to Mount Fuji and open a breach there? Why didn't they just throw themselves into Mount Fuji? 
Oh yeah, they could have. Ju- yeah, yeah, right. They could have done that, right? They could have just suicide yeah. bombed Mount Fuji on their own. Yeah, remember when that first one robot like gets splattered and nothing but kaiju blue goes everywhere? That that been fine for an explosion. <laughs> what is going By on? By the way, that is like <laughs> that. That whole thing is like a blatant end of Evangelion. Like, <laughs> yeah. So previously or next time on kaiju transmissions, depending on how you're listening to this. <laughs> I, I, I recapped about, uh, oh yeah, people making comparisons between Evangelion and Pacific Rim are, quote, stupid. Well, that Not was anymore. before I saw this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's weird, though. It seems like the, something about the way the movie is structured or the, the vast amount of just unbridled stupidity and lingering plot threads and stuff like that is is causing people to overlook that huge um mount fuji like contradiction with the first movie like i have not seen it in any reviews like even from fans like i feel like i'm like the only person who i don't know (laughs) if it's if it's like so blatant that people don't feel the need to address it but like in the first movie uh, Newt says that the the kaiju came here either I now nobody's exactly sure apparently whether the kaiju wiped out the dinosaurs or were the dinosaurs but it doesn't matter because they were here 65 million years ago when there were way more active volcanoes than there currently are and they couldn't just do it then because and there's 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 no re- like they could have just done it then because because we are specifically told in this movie, it's not that they want to throw themselves... Like, see, now, if they had said, oh, they got to throw themselves into Mount Fuji to wipe out humanity, okay. But they say it'll wipe out humanity and finish terraforming the Earth for them. Which they could have done. <laughs> so they could have done it because 65 million years ago when... Also, like, they, they wouldn't could do it 65 million years ago. Why can't they just open new breaches now? <laughs> What's going on? And why did they have to open a breach in the Pacific Ocean instead of, like, right next to Mount Fuji? Inside of Mount Fuji? (laughs) Yeah, that would make it easy. (laughs) See, now, it it makes a little more sense if they're just trying to hit these populated areas and, you know, like, oh, okay. I'm with you. It's it's the Independence Day plot, but, but I'm with it. This, this... It makes no sense. Speaking of uh, dangling plot threads, what was up with the, like, I don't even remember her name, but there's, like, a female in the uh, in the academy or whatever, and they, like, set up that Scott Eastwood and Jake are, like, in- into her, so, I don't know, it's, it's a love weird, like, love triangle that doesn't go anywhere. Oh, I think yeah. they both banged her at the, the end. The, the mechanic, <laughs> uh... <laughs> Yeah, because uh, yeah, her name is Jules, and like she and Lambert are supposed to already be dating, but then they have this love triangle that doesn't really go anywhere. So she kisses them both on the cheek. Does that mean they're just friends or what? I don't, you know. Speaking well, of things, speaking of things the, that the, don't the make end- sense, oh, and get just left dangling. Mako Mori's final message to go to Siberia. And they go there, <laughs> and, and Obsidian Fury attacks them. 
but but then that's it. Like they don't learn anything while they're there. Why did she send them to Siberia? Well, presumably that's where Obsidian Fury was built because it was one of uh, the old bases that um, that was active during the war. So Newt could have known about it and built Obsidian Fury there without anybody noticing. And then it blows up the base there so that nobody can find his, I don't know, um, journal or whatever. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and and then uh, they, they get to, to kill the, the robot there, bring it home, uh, injure one of their cadets, and, uh, and learn valuable information. There's a lot of stuff there that, like... Oh, yeah, that one dude gets hurt. Because, like, they established that the kaiju brains in Obsidian Fury are man-made. But did they say, like, how? I thought they were clones, and specifically of Alex. Yeah, I don't think clones of the brain that Newt uh, Jaeger uh, drift bangs. (laughs) But how is he cloning brains? (laughs) Uh, dude, he's got coils that wind backwards. That's what they tell us. I don't. How, how about the fact that they have a mathematician doing the autopsy? <laughs> <laughs> That's true too. Oh this movie's score is just like retrospectively getting worse and worse the more we talk about it. Oh, this movie. How about, okay, so so here's a a, a plot piece. Um, at the end of the movie. At the end of the movie, they uh, they there's three kaiju that get through the breaches, and they fight against our four Jaegers. Is it four? Yeah. Okay. It's it's and everything leading up to that is is pretty is pretty terrible too. Um, where you get the only time that you hear the Pacific Rim theme, and it's like a janky, weird, uh, like. It's like um, like a fifteen year old kid doing their Pacific Rim meets my guitar cover on YouTube, <laughs> um, and and they fix four Jaegers in about fifteen seconds, um, and then they go to stop the kaiju from from uh, suicide bombing Mount Fuji like uh, like jihadists, and um, while they're fighting them. All of a sudden, and now hopefully, maybe Kevin can illuminate this more because all of a sudden everyone goes, "Oh no, there's they're coming." I don't know what they said. There's these things that come, and they're like, "Oh no, they're going to dismantle the 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 Jaegers. And instead, they dismantle the kaiju and glue them all back together into a giant kaiju. What are these things? Where did they come from? <laughs> The only explanation I have is that um, maybe they saw the second Atlantic Rim and thought like they need more small monsters. <laughs> okay, so this this isn't something that like makes more sense on a second viewing or that's in a prequel novel or anything. Nope. Apparently, like the 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 Chow Industries basement is just like full of little monsters that they can just, <laughs> you know open the garage door and unleash into Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, that's well. Well, I mean, we can just say the thing that the twist that I think. I, a lot of us really like is so since the first movie the precursors have been they've infected Newt's brain so he is the villain of this one and yeah there's AIDS I just thought it yeah so he <laughs> the, <laughs> so the whole last battle he's on a rooftop with an iPad and he's like 
Is he controlling the monsters? What is he doing? I, he's controlling Shao Industries. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so he, he's all like, uh, it looks like, it, it, the, I kind of got the idea that he like summoned these little kaiju bug things, but I don't know. Um, I thought, so here's what I thought when I saw it. <laughs> I Sounds like none of us said, know oh, what we thought. Someone said, oh no, it's the... And they, they gave him a name. And then the 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 Shao Industries CEO, Madam Shao, I don't know that that's her name, um, she says, oh, we use those to, like, dismantle old Jaegers quickly or something. Um... And she's like, they'll they'll tear the Jaegers apart. Oh no, this is gonna suck. And instead, so why can they glue monsters together? <laughs> Dude, this movie has no logic, external or internal. We. <laughs> I do remember when they were making this movie. Someone on Twitter asked Stephen tonight what his favorite kaiju movie was, and he said Gamera Two. So maybe this is like. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's his like little homage to the Legion bugs, but I don't know. That made sense. Like in kaiju movie terms, that made sense in Gamera well, too. Maybe somebody was just like, "Oh no, the monsters can't combine without some something to hold them together," because that would be silly. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing: do you, do you guys remember the first scene uh, with Newt and Gottlieb when they like reunite at the lab? It was great, and <laughs> the like. Great the dialogue bad. between the two of them is like. It's essentially just recapping the entire first movie. Oh, it's awful. It's it's so bad, it's amazing. He's like, like, oh, hey, it's good to see you. Remember when, <laughs> when we did this? And we drifted with the brain, and we did all this stuff, and they closed the breach, and all that, blah, blah, blah. Wasn't that great? We're best friends. <laughs> yes. You he's like, he's, he's like, really not. <laughs> I'm, I'm very busy right now. Well, don't forget that you owe me after I helped you drift with a kaiju brain, and then we figured out all the kaiju's plans, which allowed us to help Raleigh get through the drift and blow himself and blow up Gypsy Danger inside the Precursor's home world, where they then were able to get back to us and hug on a raft at the end. Remember? I, I and, bet that Gottlieb just does that all the time. It's like, Newt, I need a ride to the airport. Remember how I helped you drift with that kaiju brain? <laughs> I also noticed there's like a a, a photo on uh, on the desk, and it's just like it's one of those mo- things movies do all the time, where it's just like a still from the first movie. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking now, of Raleigh, this movie really didn't have the courtesy to tell us where he was what's, at all. <laughs> he's supposedly dead, right? Yeah, he's he's dead. Like the whole thing at the end of the first movie, where it's like. The dramatic, like, oh, you think that he died, but it turned out it was just a sensor's malfunctioning, and 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 Mako is, you know, so relieved when it turns out that he's actually alive, and like, no, he he just died of of radiation cancer, like from. But, the- and then <laughs> Stephen Denight just gave this interview, like, where he's like all jacked about, like, yeah, if this does good, we're gonna do a third one. We got all, we'll do all these spinoffs, like it's like Star Wars, and we can bring Raleigh back. So I don't, I don't know. Well, maybe they'll so, just clone him. Going to go the Starship Troopers route with the sequels. <laughs> maybe, maybe a bunch of little bugs will come out and, and rip other people apart, and glue them into Raleigh. <laughs> um, now, I mean, they didn't have him on the you know Hall of of deceased heroes 
or whatever that is yeah, immediately true, all yeah. just people that died in the first movie. Yeah, like everyone else was on there. They're holographic pictures. Yeah. No, the one the we we talked about. You guys mentioned like Bird, and and I think everyone said like the only thing that really actively irritated us was was Mako getting fridged. I do have one other thing, um, that I thought was like actively bad, um, and it was when Jake and what what is this girl's name? Amari, Amara, Amara. When they drift. And it's she's drifting for the first time, and then she gets lost in a memory, and it's it, basically oh, it's, it's the, the exact it's the same scene. It's the, the it's one, yeah. It's basically the exact same scene as Mako Mori's background. Yeah, it's 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 like exactly the same. You like, can be replaced with a white woman. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't, and yeah, I I, I just. That's another thing is the drift itself is like it doesn't even matter that they have to drift really like you like the drift the the first movie like the drift was so much of like the thematic backbone of like you know overcoming you know PTSD and dealing with the past and all that and this like they're just like okay let's drift and then they just fighting a robot and yeah they they wear these really light cheap looking suits now uh the cockpit is not like this crazy like thing with all these moving gears and parts like you just kind of like plug yourself into like a hose so in the first movie there was so much weight put on the like it, it looked like they were struggling to move the robot inside and then in this movie, they're like skating, or like they're skiing across the screen, constantly moving the the Jaeger. Oh, dude, there's one part that was driving me crazy where uh, one of the Jaegers does like a knee slide, like he like slides on his knees, almost like he's like like crossing the finish line or doing like a. It's like when people like slide on their knees to do like a like a celebration in hockey what is that where they like lower the stick and you have to keep like going under limbo yeah it's like he's like sliding (laughs) through like a limbo thing and i hated that i hated that so much the physics in this movie is like if jet lee put on the jaeger suit and they're just having a you know it's like it's that's that's like another like it's that's one of those things where it's a weird it's a complaint and it's and it's not kind of like it's it's that thing where you have to disconnect yourself and from from everything that made Pacific Rim so amazing. You know, like we talked about during our Pacific Rim review how I I got to talk to Travis Beecham uh via Skype a little bit and um ask him, you know, oh, those those trading cards that are coming out, they have like all the Jaeger stats on them. Do those like matter or, or not, you know? And he was like, "Well, they do and they don't." And when you watched the movie, you you understood like um Cherno Alpha definitely like moved slower and chunkier than than the other ones. Um, Striker Eureka definitely moved faster. Um, <clears throat> things like that, you know. And it was like, yeah, you can you can tell, you know, that they they are different. And and um, you know, like this one is the fastest one. This one is the biggest one. This one is the the slowest one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In this movie, she specifically points out while she's do- having the uh, this Amara, who basically is just like, like that's the character we're going to use to just recreate all the scenes from the first one. Um, 
she has her moment where she's walking through the shattered dome, and instead of being like, you know, when Stacker Pentecost is like, is like, here's all the Jaegers we have left. We got Cherno Alpha, the oldest Jaeger in the fleet. She's like, she's like, whoa, look at that one, and she's like. She's like, Saber Athena, that's the fastest one. There is no difference in the way that thing moves and the way Gypsy Avenger or Obsidian Fury move. There's there's no difference in speed, agility, or anything from those from those Jaegers. Like there's no point in it being the fastest one. You know? Um, there's no point in in I think it's Bravo Phoenix being a three man rig. Like it it was questionable in um in Pacific Rim why Crimson Typhoon was three men, but at least it had three arms. That's good. Yeah, that's Bravo good. Phoenix is a three man rig, so that one of them can drop down into his crotch and shoot a Gatling gun out of it. Like, <laughs> why can't they just push a button inside the cockpit and do that? You know what I mean? Like, there's no there's no reason that has to be piloted by a human being. It's just so that they can have a three-man rig again. Like, like yeah. Are you guys glad you got to see a Jaeger give the finger? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these are just sort of boring Jaeger designs compared to the first ones. And I mean, it sort of makes sense that they're like that sort of like humanoid look if you think of it like as an evolution of, you know, if you have Cherno Alpha's really old and uh, Striker Eureka's new and Gypsy Danger is somewhere in the middle there that like if you continue that evolution yeah they would look like these that are in this movie but it's also just uh, it's disappointing because when I try to think like well how do they look different well one is green and one is <laughs> white and, and one's red uh, yeah, yeah like I'm yeah. having trouble like separating which ones were which in my mind right now like I can't remember what the fourth one in the fight is at all. Like I remember the, and the only reason I remember this Saber Athena is because they specifically are like, Oh, that's the fastest one. And then it's just an orange one that jumps around just as much as Gypsy Avenger. And then, yeah, Gypsy Avenger. I remember because it's just Gypsy danger with two chest holes. Um, (laughs) And then the other one that I do remember is Bracer Phoenix because he's got the big uh, chainmail thing, mm-hmm, the, yeah. the big ball for a hand. Which one? Which one had the? I actually thought it was really cool. The like gravity beam. That's Gypsy Avenger. Yeah. Oh, it was it? See, I don't even. I can't even tell which the main one. Which what the main one had? I don't. <laughs> how, how did you guys feel about the the monsters, the kaiju? Um, they were. I didn't dislike them, but I didn't really cling to any of them the way I did the monsters in the first one. This this movie doesn't really have an Otachi or a Leatherback. It, you know, they're just kind of they feel like monsters that like they were like, that like almost made it into the first one, but like didn't quite make the cut. Can you name any of them? Because I can't. Uh, I well, the one that's like the most heavily that i keep seeing like in toys and stuff is uh the one that's like his, where his face opens up that's raijin and, and he, then, he, uh, he's the one that actually has a power like the others just sort of don't yeah he's then, okay uh, so he's the one where if you punch him he just absorbs it or whatever yeah 
And then there's what uh, Hakuja, I think. Yeah. And then the Shrike Horn or something is the other one. But, I don't know. They're all kind of samey. There's, there's I, I think actually the best kaiju is the one we briefly see in the flashback sequence because it it sort of looks like one from the first movie. So that was nice. Yeah. 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 That like one that actually, one. I actually, if, that one is probably I probably remember that one's design a little bit more and then we do get like during that practice run they fight uh onibaba the crab from the 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 first one um (laughs) speaking of what first of all oh yeah i you know i wasn't what i was not surprised to learn steven denight was actually a big part of the writer's room for the transformers movies shocked (laughs) (laughs) did you guys guys love how all the buildings i mean obviously buildings are made of like they have glass compartments but like every time something touched a building it just like collapsed on itself with just i mean no rhyme or reason (laughs) at all like you breathe down a building the wrong way and it like shatters into pieces oh you know that's why they're so keen on just throwing buildings on top of kaiju and and whatnot um you know we haven't really talked about uh is Another the Indian Yeager. kid who sacrificed himself for no reason? <laughs> oh God, yeah. The the well, yeah. The first of all, they say after the Jaeger Kaiju hybrids attack, all the like actual pilots are dead or injured. So they get the cadets, and yeah, they're these kids and they're dumb. But yeah, the Indian kid, like he blatantly just gets himself killed. And I don't know. It's not. I can you even call it a sacrifice? Because he's not doing. He didn't he's save an him. Yeah, an he, he was just being an idiot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like that. So yeah, that's another thing that makes it seem like drifting and piloting these Jaegers is like something anyone can do now. Uh, but yeah, they. Um, <laughs> I wanted to talk about speaking of Transformers. Probably the most Transformers esque thing in this is probably Scrapper, the. F- 40-foot-tall mini Jaeger that the girl builds be- somehow, because she can do that, I guess. Uh, and, and not only that, but you also have the ridiculous... Uh, Scrapper in the, the last act is essentially the deus ex machina and uh, is piloted by uh, um, the Chow uh, lady, who I don't know how she knows how to pilot a Jaeger, I mean, yeah, sure, she builds them, but... She knows I mean, how to ski, I already told you that. <laughs> she also specifically knows how to pilot that specific Jaeger that absolutely nobody had ever used before other than the girl. And she's also a master of, of using said Jaegers to do complex welding in a way that won't just, you know, tear the, the arm <laughs> off of uh, something. <laughs> that leads us to what might be the stupidest scene in the movie it's the only scene that like it made me laugh because it was so dumb <laughs> but yeah so she so not only all that but she welds yeah she welds a rocket to gypsy avenger's arm and like they set it off and it's like a looney tunes cartoon <laughs> where like it's like f- like flying gypsy around like 
and it's it, it's so ridiculous. I couldn't believe that. That's like the one moment where like it wasn't just stupid, but I was almost like, oh my god, what am I watching? <laughs> it was insane. I couldn't like that was the craziest thing in this movie, and I don't know why they thought that was like the best way because essentially like. They need to catch up to the monster who's like gonna, gonna, getting to Mount Fuji, and they're like, "How can we get there faster?" And so she comes out of nowhere uh, in this Jaeger. The she knows how to pilot somehow, and they weld a rocket to its arm. And if that's yeah, if that sounds like something out of like a Bugs Bunny cartoon, it's because that's exactly how it plays out. It's cr- it's yeah, it's madness. I, I hate that thing. I hate Scrapper. I hate the concept. Um, the whole the whole idea like and i mean yes we've we've already already given you an uh quite an idea of just how few rules this 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 movie really has but the whole idea that like a person could just cobble together a machine like a jaeger even even if it's quote unquote only 40 feet tall <laughs> Is is preposterous. Like a, a single person who is who is is a a hacker knows how to create complex robotics and get the materials to create complex robotics without arousing any other suspicions at all. And it's a pilot, don't forget. Yes. <laughs> this, see this is where people listening like the movie's defenders would say well what'd you think you were getting into it's a pacific rim movie it's not the godfather or whatever and tom i know you <laughs> you in particular hate that defense i loathe it it's <laughs> it's such a lazy defense right because there's you know like and it's weird because there's this fine line between garbage that's fun and garbage that's not fun um yes i know i'm not going to see the godfather i'm not going to see citizen kane but you can still do a you could do a stupid idea right and it can be brilliant you know like um you could take a movie like a fish fucks a woman and she <laughs> likes it and that's a really goddamn dumb idea and you can do it right and you can win best picture do you know what i mean so there's there's that there's that whole spectrum that you can go on when you're setting out to make a movie like pacific rim uprising where it can you can you can make a really great great movie from this really dumb idea clearly they didn't do that you can make a, a, a Transformers movie that's like three hours long, overblown, pretentious, ridiculous. There, there's this whole spectrum of things. It, it, movies still have to have their own in- internal logic. I, I would be cool with them going for cartoon uh, logic if they just fully invested in it. And I mean, for the sake of comparison, that uh, that rocket hand thing is something that happens in G Gundam. But G Gundam is also a series where, like, there's a Gundam horse that's piloted by a horse and <laughs> things like that. <laughs> is that the one where there's a Mexican Gundam that wears a sombrero? Yes, the Tequila Gundam. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
See, if they just went full all like all in on that direction, this would mo- movie would be like so dumb it's brilliant. But they didn't lean into they didn't lean into that nearly enough. Then yeah, it was sort of uh, wishy washy on that and. Uh... And, and that's another thing is I, I th- felt like the tone was inconsistent because you get that like opening montage where it's it's doing this sort of jokey stuff with uh, you know oh he's trading in this for this and then and then once he gets into the the school they're trying to have these dramatic beats that is sort of atonal with what had come before and it you know it doesn't quite know what it wants to be. It's interesting that. Um... Like, I think the first movie actually had more humor, but this movie seems more, like, just straight up, like, for, like, eight-year-olds. Because this movie has no heart. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, like, in the, in the first movie, <clears throat> and it's, it's, I read a review of, because Bird was like, well, people, I remember you saying, oh, people are saying a lot of the same things they said about the first one as they are with this one. And I kind of went back and looked, and I was like... Not really, you know, like the first one got a lot more credit for um, its visual style than this one, which I mean, we all knew because Del Toro. But um, a thing I kept seeing pop pop up was people talking about the the quieter moments of the first one. And and someone was actually like my like there was a review that was basically kind of like what's what's great about this movie and and what this movie kind of has to say or its best moments or whatever are in its silences. And there is, there's no moment in this movie um, like that moment where Raleigh and Mako are sitting, watching them do work on, on Gypsy. And they just have that like slight little bonding moment together where they just kind of talk about, you know, some of the troubles they've had and, 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 and they start to become friends. There's no, there's not a single moment at all like that anywhere in this thing. And that's only one moment from the first one. It just happens to be like, I think maybe my favorite one, but, but the, the first one is littered with like little quiet moments like that. And this one is just like, no, there's, there's no heart to it yeah. at all it tries a couple times but it feels like you're watching like the you're watching like the store brand pacific rim you know like like it feels like and i don't, I don't know, know if it, it tries so much as they're just like oh well this is the part in a movie where a character has to die so that the other characters can face adversity yeah. you know but, like, uh, but i mean there's there's a little bit where uh uh, Jake is is making jokes and and Mako is you know laughing at them and I don't know if this is just John Boyega riffing and <laughs> Kikuchi you know uh, playing along with it but you know that's that's the one time where it felt like oh these seem like people that have met each other before maybe <laughs> <laughs> well yeah and and of course we never get to explore that I think that. I, like, someone pointed out that, like, I mean, and I think, you know, I like John Boyega, and I think part of it's probably just his natural, you know, charm, but uh, Jake's a, a, he's a decent protagonist, but the fact that he's a Pentecost has nothing to do with anything once Mako dies. It's only important in regards to Mako, and this movie could care less about her, so it's almost like, why, why did you bother? <laughs> and Kikuchi looks like she could care less about 
being in the movie, honestly. Oh, she looks like she doesn't want to be there at all. <laughs> She's like, oh, I had a contractual obligation to come in, come in for a sequel. Uh... But yeah, and and yeah, the the little things in the first movie are what make it. Like, um, you'll remember, like, um, in the first one, there's the part where Gypsy doesn't walk through the that one that bridge. Gypsy steps over the bridge, and in this, like, the Jaegers are just like slicing buildings in half just by like walking past them. It's like <laughs> throwing buildings on the monsters as a form of like attacking them. Yeah, yeah, they do that. That's right. Um. Yeah, the w- one thing uh, you know, just to just to touch back on on Charlie Day, um, I legitimately loved everything about his character in this one. Um, I loved m- like re meeting him, and he's dressing exactly like Hannibal Chow, almost like like that's what it that's what he looked like to me. I was like I was like, "Oh my god, he looks just like Hannibal Chow. Like he's like dressed like flamboyantly and there's like weird metal on him for no reason." Um and he you know, his whole his personality feels like he's he you know, he's developed from being um instead of being like like the 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 kaiju nerd and the kaiju groupie to being like the kaiju expert and the kaiju rock star, you know, like, like mm-hmm. it feels like that's what he's done. Um, yeah. And, and, and you, him, and him, you think like, it's going to be really cliche too, right? Like you think it's going to be, um, this very cliche thing of like, like he needs to end up coming back down to earth kind of thing, you yeah, know? Yeah. And like, I even thought like when they were like, when they were in, in his apartment and he was talking and nobody was talking back to him. I was like, Oh, his like wife is going to be like a computer program or something, you know? Uh, and, and then he goes in his room and it's a Kaiju brain. And then he, and then he, he bangs it by drifting with it. <laughs> um, and, and I liked it more. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't know what's happening here, but it's amazing, and I love this. You know, like and the if, stuff with him is the only stuff that felt like an, it was building naturally on the first one. And I even thought, like, I did have a moment where I was like, "Well, is it also a little contradictory?" Because what, did they infect him immediately, and then he, they let him help them destroy themselves for no reason? You know, like. But I was like, eh, yeah. Know. His story arc doesn't actually make sense to me as a, as a following. But. You like how he started having a kaiju voice for no reason at times. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of like, because we talked about what are their names. Did you notice that when they combine into like the big kaiju, it's it's just named Mega Kaiju? I did not. Yeah, yeah that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, there are some. There's a couple notes I'm going to pull out real quick. Uh, because you you kind of brought it up, Bird, there's that scene where like uh, they they bring up this the screen and they show like a list of kaiju and they're trying to identify what's come through the breach. There are some Easter eggs in here. We see Gigan, Batra, uh, Jiger, uh, Zigra, Gamera, uh, Karloff, Knifehead, the Cloverfield monster makes a uh, makes an appearance, and then uh, Varan does as well. So there, there's also some ones I think haven't quite been identified yet. I'm surprised nobody but us is talking about that because like oh my god guy can confirm 
<laughs> like think about like all the little things that like showed up in like the Ready Player One trailer and all the clickbait. Like, oh my god, this is in this thing and that means this. Like, uh, you know, some someone out there is like, oh, the Cloverfield monster. Uh, uh, well, Cloverfield paradox says that like any monster can be because <laughs> of the paradox, and it's all this is in this universe. Like, oh, all these monsters are there. It's all yeah. the same multiverse. So it means monsterverse and Cloverfield and Gamera. It's all it's all true with Pacific Rim. It's all connected. Uh, like, I, your actual I, comments that people post, though, like the thing is that we're not actually making it up. Please, I see people that post that stuff on YouTube and Facebook, and you're like, what is going on with yeah. this fandom? But no, I'm so when it comes out on DVD and stuff, I'm sure that's when people start taking the freeze frames and stuff. But yeah, but I, <laughs> I don't know where where the clickbait is for that. But yeah, it's um, it, like you said, it's a little. It, it is a little weird that you don't not seeing more of it because yeah, for a. 15 second cameo in Ready Player One. People are saying that Mecha Godzilla is now confirmed for <laughs> the kaiju or for the monster verse, which makes no sense because Ready Player One is not a legendary movie. Um, and it's all in VR, that yeah. movie. So, and so, it's, it, it could really be Grimlock given that character design. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, a good point, honestly. 15 second cameo in Ready Player One means Mechagodzilla confirmed for MonsterVerse. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I mean, Pacific Rim Uprising and Ready Player One both have Gundams in them. Obviously, same oh, universe. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's the Gundam statue, which, I don't know, this isn't a big deal, so it's not like I'm complaining about this like the other changes he made in his approach with the Knight versus Del Toro, but um del toro like intentionally left out the those kind of like direct references so it's you know this one i don't know denite seemed to have his inner fanboy kind of get the best of him in a, a couple of those moments i mean stuff like that's fun but i i do like that del toro was like you know i don't want to remind anyone of anything i just want to like ignore that stuff del but, toro whatever. was probably like i hate clickbait <laughs> I I don't know. I think if 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 that was actually his attention, he did a bad job. <laughs> like, yeah, fair. The, the whole like middle of the movie uh, hinges on uh, the plot point out of Giant Robo: The Day the Earth Stood Still. So, so we, we talked about how in the original script, Del Toro that, that he that he put together, um, they basically tried to bring back the uh, entire original cast: um, Raleigh, Hannibal Chow. Kirk Hansen, uh, Tendo Choi, but and then um, none of that obviously worked out. And also for this movie, Ron Perlman ended up turning down a cameo, which would have been cool because they mentioned him in the movie. But like they, they actually talk about him being somebody that uh, John Boyega's character steals from at one point. Um, but like it would have been nice to see uh, Hannibal Chow come back because I think he kind of fits the stupidity of this movie pretty well. Yeah, <laughs> so that would have been something I would have looked forward he to. He could have popped up and said, "I finally got my goddamn shoe." <laughs> well, he's he, he's a main character in the one of the prequel comics. There's like three different prequel comics. So. Yeah, all right. Well, I, I I smell a segue. So uh, yeah, you re- we ready for our uh, ratings? Final thoughts? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, well, I guess I'll go. Um, as the Pacific Rim sequel. After five years, um, I really think that they should have just scrapped it or waited until, you know, Del Toro and Charlie Hunnam and everyone is is able to come back. But 
I know uh, they really didn't want that window of opportunity to close, so it definitely seems more rushed. Um, But once, you know, a lot of those people were out of the picture and the trailer started coming out, my expectations were really tempered. Um, It's cheaper. uh, It looks cheaper. uh, It's the storytelling is cheaper. Um, and it's, it's, it's a bad movie, but you know, it's fun and it's not boring. Um, there's really only one or the, the Mako stuff is the only thing that really made me mad. Um, but really, uh, like this is, it's, it's, this is fun trash. And the first movie to me anyway, I know there's a lot of people that'll disagree to me. The first one is like a classic of the genre now. Like, uh, this is like what Halloween 2 is to John Carpenter's Halloween, the original. Like, it's a continuation, and it's, but it's also, like, it doesn't have the level of craft that the first Halloween did. It doesn't have the level of intelligence or the smart filmmaking or anything like that. It's just exploitation-y trash. And this is like the kaiju movie equivalent to it. Or it's like if if you had, like, the original Godzilla and, like, not even Godzilla Raids again. It's like you follow up the original Godzilla and go straight to Godzilla vs. Gigon. Like, that's what this is. It's garbage, but it's fun garbage. And so balancing out those two aspects, the fun and the garbage, I'm going to come in at, like, a two out of five uh, 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 women in refrigerators. <laughs> uh, so I have very similar thoughts. Um, I, but here's the thing. I walked out of the theater and I can honestly say that I did have a very good time and I enjoyed it. And we've kind of like taken a dump on the movie throughout this and telling all the stuff that we didn't like. But the action sequences for all the stuff about the physics we'd kind of talked about that's kind of also what makes them fun. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're good scenes. They're just not Pacific Rim scenes. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that, that's a fair way to say it. I think the movie's basically a nonstop action film, like, once it gets going. Um, and that kind of works in its favor because, like, you're not waiting for the next thing to happen because something else is happening no matter how dumb or nonsensical it feels. So because of that and because the amount of fun I have, I'm probably going to overrate this some, but like my enjoyment level doesn't match how bad the film is. As we talked about, it's just kind of a shitty movie that we all enjoy. At least for me, that's how I felt. So I'm going to come in at a very strong two and a half. Like I almost said three, but like it doesn't really garner a three. I think a two and a half is probably right. So you have two, you give it two and a half Stephen DeKnight uh, tribal tattoo uh, sleeves. That is accurate, yes. I'm going to let uh, Kevin, why don't you tell us what you think? We'll let Tom close it out. Okay, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, like, like I told you when, when you asked how it was, like, uh, it's, it's a step down for sure, and, th- and that can be disappointing. You know, it's a, the RoboCop 2 to RoboCop, but it's not RoboCop 3 to RoboCop. And given the history of sequels that Del Toro has had, you know, Blade 3 and the Mimic sequels and things like that, could be worse. So, uh Obviously, I think that there are there's a lot of potential that they they misstepped on and things could have been better. Uh, you know, ah, I, I wish that when, you know, Jake is, is plummeting down to from the sky and is about to smash into the, the kaiju to kill it. He had said, like, all I need to do is fall. Anyone could fall. But 
Anyway, uh, I will give this. Uh, I'll give this a three uh, trollololls out of uh, five. Oh, I forgot <laughs> about the trollololls that were in this. Yeah, that's a great point. So, so yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on on this podcast. I think I might have mentioned it on my old one. Um, <clears throat> I like uh, the concept of rating movies such that. Um, the the closer you are to zero stars, the worse you are. But you don't just go from zero to five. You go from negative five to five. With like negative five being those movies that are so insanely, colossally stupid and bad, they become amazing. You know, like your very best Asylum movies or your Tromas uh, movies, you know, like a movie like Basket Case or something, which is like this, this just, just this colossal piece of shit that is amazing. Um, And a five being like, you know, like the Godfather or something, you know, zero is bad. But the further you are away from zero, the better. Um, this movie falls on that negative spectrum. Um, rating this movie, taking it seriously, talking about it seriously, is like a fool's gamut. You know, I mean, I have cracked up laughing multiple times remembering plot points and things from this because they're ridiculous and they make no sense. Um, as as a follow up to Pacific Rim, it's a failure. As a movie unto itself, with internal logic and storytelling, it is a colossal failure. But it is insanely fun. Um, so stupid, it's fun. Um, I go with negative three and a half out of five imploded breaches. <laughs> All right. Well. So that's Uprising. We do have an Uprising-related question that a fan sent us that uh, is a topic we didn't touch on in the review, but I think, uh, I know Matt and Kevin especially have a lot to say about it, so we'll get to that in a minute, and that's what we'll end with. But first, I know Kevin uh, wanted to fill us in on some of the expanded universe of Pacific Rim uh, and um, we mentioned the prequel novel, uh, for example. So, Kevin, what do you got for us? Uh, what else is going out there, going on out there in the breach? Sure. Uh, so, I guess uh, we've we've got three different comics. Uh, depending on how you want to count, it gets a little uh, funny there. Uh, starting with uh, with Legendary's own comics uh, branch, they're doing Pacific Rim Aftermath which is actually two different things in the same magazine. Uh, one of them, you know, the main story that you've got going on there is about a guy that's uh, salvaging Jaeger parts for, for Hannibal Chow, and uh, he's got uh, sort of adventures going on there. And you get to follow up with, with uh, our, our uh, off-screen uh, Ron Perlman character, uh, see that he he didn't come out looking as as unscathed as uh, we had been led to believe. He's all scarred up and whatnot. Um, uh, fun fun 
kaiju easter egg the kaiju blue is called hederon in this so that's a hmm. nod to uh perhaps a other sludgy toxic kaiju thing uh so yeah that's all right like if, if you if you want more of that side of things the whole like salvage thing which uh that's definitely an aspect of the of the movies that some people have have latched onto. Uh, yep, that's there in that comic, and then it's got a backup in that same serial that's um, uh, just about Jake and his his backstory. And it's sort of I don't know, it doesn't doesn't do a whole lot for me. But those are those are very short. It's just a couple pages in each issue, and neither one of those is complete yet. Uh, also, not complete yet, as far as I know. There's a web comic. Uh, by uh, the same author, the uh, is Kevin Scott, and the uh, other, uh, also a uh, Ran Zhang. So go fi- go figure. There's a there's a Chinese writer on this web comic uh, that's uh, all about Amara's backstory. Uh, so what we see in the movie, where her parents are killed by a kaiju, and then she gets taken in by like a, a rogue kaiju maker who's who's in the process of building scrapper for some sort of like i don't know uh i'm just gonna say pod race because that's that's what it is is episode one (laughs) pod races (laughs) so that's that's ongoing as well uh then there's the the novel uh pacific rim uprising ascension which uh you know by nature of being a novel that came out right before the movie did and that really deals with uh, with two of the cadets who are in the movie, but uh, I mean they're they're Jinhai and Vic, who are you know you sort of get the sense that they might have personalities, but it doesn't really get into it. Uh, you know that uh, Jinhai is apparently like the son of two great Jaeger pilots, so he's sort of in the program due to nepotism, but has to has to deal with that and all of the expectations that are lumped upon him. So you know there's that bit when. Jake is giving his big speech is like it doesn't matter who our parents are and then it cuts to Jin Hai and like if you haven't read the novel you're just like okay whatever uh, mm. uh, meanwhile Vic has a huge chip on her shoulder because she grew up with nothing in Soviet Russia I guess Even, is, is it still Soviet Russia in the Pacific Rim universe it's very confusing <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway uh her whole deal is that her parents are killed by kaiju, but her grandparents, not wanting to just like tell her that, they're like, "Yes, your pi- your parents are are Jaeger pilots. That's why they're never home." So she uh, she has some some <laughs> damaged uh, psyche issues. So she, that's why she you know kept reapplying and reapplying and reapplying to get into the program, and and uh, gets all pissy when um when somebody who made a, a Jaeger from scratch just gets brought in without like really doing any of the the formalities. Uh so yeah, those those two they they're drift compatible and the novel sells that a little more than the movie does. And I guess when those two are drift compatible you can just slap a third wheel on it and it works. We took your parents to a special farm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, and then you know, the, like I said before, the villains in that are the the, the cultists that uh, uh, they they got stuff going on, and it, it it sets up some of the whole like 
Jaegers are just being sort of used for like police protocols because I mean it makes sense if you don't have a use for them anymore they're going to have to justify their budget somehow. <laughs> Did they say like why they just keep like why they resurrect the Jaeger program and like spend all this money on like cadets and new Jaegers and all that? I think they just assume that there's more kaiju coming because they they're still like training in simulations of of old kaiju attacks. And there's there's some there's some great uh old kaiju attacks that are in the novel that they reconstruct you know like uh a kaiju that explodes when you hit it and uh one that's um made of like raw sewage and stuff like that (laughs) Hmm. uh there's uh i think that that has some some cooler ideas than the movie does kaiju wise and i I don't know if there's like concept arts of any of those floating around but that would be neat to see huh that's like a half-assed explanation given in the movie even too is you know like when they're like they're like, oh, we can't get rid of Jaegers because we don't know why they were attacking us in the first place. And you're like, yeah, but that doesn't justify spending <laughs> billions of dollars of like taxpayer money on building giant robots. You know, I like, would be I would be pissed off as a as a taxpayer because you know, uh, uh, Gypsy is there as as a guard. And Obsidian Fury comes out of the bay, shoots a missile. Gypsy jumps out of the way, so the missile hits a building. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, well, interesting stuff. Thank you. So we're going to wrap up with some fan mail. Now, uh, we we tiptoed around it a little bit, but now it's time to bring it out. And we're going to talk politics. Um so obviously the first movie was a big hit in China. The Chinese box office is literally the reason why Uprising exists and why Legendary were so gung-ho about doing another one and doing it in time before the public would forget because it made a lot of money over there. So uh, the, and it, so it's also keeping in this trend that we've seen with the Transformers series, with Skull Island, with you know some of the Marvel stuff, Iron Man three in particular, of a lot of pandering to China. Um, so we have this fan mail, and this is going to get allow us to get dig into to what this really means. Um, it's uh, from uh, a writer, uh, or well, not a. He wrote to us. He's written to us before. A writer. Yeah. Well, I mean, he might be a. He might be. Yeah, he might be a writer. I don't know. Uh, But Jason Spear, uh, he's written to us before, um, and he says, "Hey guys, so if Shin Godzilla is Japanese nationalist propaganda, is it safe to say Pacific Rim Uprising is Hollywood-produced Chinese propaganda?" And then he lists some things here. He says the Chinese general is good. I'm assuming he means. uh, the guy, the guy that blows up the new, uh, the new stacker Pentecost. <laughs> yeah, fa- f- yeah, that guy. Uh, Chinese tech company CEO heroic, and uh, that's true. We already mentioned she's like the big Deus Ex Machina, and you know the movie does a switch where you think she'll be the villain, and it's actually Newt. Um, and uh, it, she is played by uh, is it? I think it's Zhang Ting. I think it's something. I think that's her name. Uh, if not, I'm hope i'm relatively close but she was the useless character in skull island like the really useless one that uh 
survive. She's Dude, hanging out with them. Um, you're not narrowing it down. <laughs> well, she's hanging out with, the, with uh, the black guy. Yeah, she yeah, opened the, a the, can. The... She's not useless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's uh, at the end with uh, the guy that played Dr. Dre. Uh, but yeah, um, uh, and then uh, Japanese hero. Let's not forget. There's some uh, raw feelings between Japan and China. Japanese hero Maki- Mako Mori killed. Weak-minded Western scientist wants to destroy the world and betrays Chinese tech CEO. Boyega's character is a criminal failed by capitalist decadence, but turns things around by joining the team in China under Chinese leadership. Tokyo is decimated with no regard to human life. Human-piloted Jaegers use cars and buildings as weapons in a populated megacity. They show everyday people, uh, or everyday um, not-evacuated people running for their lives. Heroes play in the snow on the slopes of Mount Fuji after after the destruction. You probably got this covered, but I want to throw it out there as I think it's interesting to discuss. He's definitely right. There is, and I think some of these he's more on the uh, he's more on the money than others. But so I definitely think uh, some of these could def- could be considered Chinese pandering. Um, I mean, we can break it down a little bit. Uh, the Chinese general being, you know, the basically the fake Pentecost being Chinese. I definitely think that qualifies. What do you guys think? Well, yeah, absolutely. He, like, not only is he Chinese, they have a lot of lines in Chinese as well. Yeah. Yeah, and you even have Charlie Day, like, trying to speak Chinese, and there's, like, the recurring gag of, like, I can't get this language right. Um, uh, Chow, the, the, the Chow lady, um, we already established she's, like, a big part of saving the day at the end. And also, play, apparently that actress is, like, really big over there, so uh, that definitely qualifies. What do you guys think? For sure. Yeah. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The Japanese hero, Mako Mori, is killed. And, you know, I can't think, of, unless there was some kind of scheduling dispute, I don't know why they made that decision. It's a terrible decision. I can't believe anyone would think it was a good idea. Um, and I know the Chinese military took some issue with the first movie. There's some articles from the, when the first movie came out about how, you know, the movie um, really doesn't do much. I mean, I don't agree with it, but it's like, you know, it rep- they have all this inclusiveness and the Chinese characters just get killed, blah, blah, blah. And um, maybe because China is the main Pacific Rim market now, it sounds like they're trying to reverse a lot of that. So... I don't know. I can't think of a good reason why they would kill Mako off like that. But the fact that she's Japanese, I don't know. I feel like there there could be something there. Where do you guys weigh in? Uh, what what I find even stranger than that is that they've got another big Japanese star in it because they have Makanyu. Like he was is you know first of all Sonny Chiba's son, but also like head of a Common Rider series and stuff. I don't think he has a single line. But uh, in terms of Mako in isolation, uh, I think it makes sense that they would want to, if they if they're gonna make the decision to make Jake Pentecost the 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 star of the show, they gotta get rid of Mako somehow. Now, uh, if they just said she was retired, if she couldn't drift anymore, they could do something like that. But uh, they should have just exploited the fact that the two have a strained history, and it should have been about them 
having to drift that, together. That makes sense, dude. That doesn't. How <laughs> this movie works? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Without knowing her shooting schedule, like, was she not available for more than a cameo? Was that all she was really willing to do? Like, there might be some of that there. So, like, yeah, I could see it being a thing where they're trying to purposely pander, but I could also see it being a thing where, like, no, yeah. she was just really just available for the cameo. I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, I mean, did, I mean did, did someone she say, like, did did she have a, a Charlton Heston moment? I'll only come back if you kill me off, you know? Yeah. Like, well, I, I feel like, because I know her and Del Toro are pretty close still. I, I feel like if he was back, she would... You know, well, I, I think I don't think he would have killed her, <laughs> but I think I think I think she she I don't know if that is if there is truth to that. I think I don't think that would be an issue. But um, well, how, I saw someone suggest like they should have just used the Scott Eastwood character as like, you know, almost like the Yancey Beckett to Raleigh and then had Mako have to come in and like be the Raleigh to to John Boyega. Like, I don't know, there, there's way better things they could have done. Um, okay, but how about uh, Western scientists wanting to destroy the world and betraying the Chinese um, pandering, yay or nay? Yeah, I mean, maybe. Yeah, I mean, like, it's not... I don't know. It's, it's hard to, like, look <laughs> at that and say that it hasn't happened in, like, a million... Yeah. I mean, somebody's yeah. got to be the villain, right? So, like, the way in which the villain is uh, used in this particular movie was pretty smart. In my opinion, I don't look at that as pandering. Yeah, as much as, yeah. I mean, yeah, if, that one if, I if think the, is the a plan little was, more off the mark. It, it, like, if the original plan was to have Xiao be the villain, and they're like, "Oh, what a week! We can't have Chinese people be the villains." <laughs> like, yeah. that would be one thing, but it doesn't sound like that was the way that the, um, the development went. This next one's a little more nuanced. Uh, Jake is a criminal failed by capitalist decadence, but turns things around by joining the team in China under Chinese leadership. I look at that more as like the trope of what Tom mentioned earlier, where, like, you have this, oh, we're yeah. going to force you to... Like, that, to me, is what that is. I but, feel like that's more of a, a symptom than a... Like, a, that's just a symptom of the Chinese stuff taking precedence everywhere else. I don't... Yeah, I don't see that as being, like, a subliminal thing. Um, Tokyo it, being decimated uh, recklessly with no regard for human life and showing uh, Japanese running for their lives... Um, there is a line in here about like evacuating the whole city. I don't think that's Chinese pandering. I think yeah. that's the night doing a kaiju fan pandering. Yeah, um, yeah. because you know it's interesting when um when I first saw Godzilla twenty fourteen, um, walking out of the movie, uh. I heard multiple people say, and it's weird because, like, I never, I never would have would have thought of this as being like something that people really, really want to see in their kaiju movies. But I heard multiple people say, "Oh, it wasn't in Japan enough. They didn't destroy Japan at all." And I'm going, and I like all I could think was like, was like, does it does it matter what city <laughs> they destroy? But you know, apparently there's there's a. Uh, at least some sort of a contingent of people that feel that if you're making a kaiju movie, you gotta destroy Japan. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you guys. I think that's a little more off the mark. But Jason, definitely, those were all good things to think about, and we some have, of it's uh, definitely definitely true. Uh, yeah, Matt and 
Yeah. Yeah, Matt Matt and Kevin had an interesting one that I know they want to discuss. So I'll let you guys run away with this cuz this is stuff I didn't know until I heard you guys talking about it. Well, I'm going to I'm going to give Kevin a minute cuz he actually was the first one to point it out to me. I was like, "Oh, dude, I hadn't even thought about that." So Kevin, you want to talk about the thing that we Oh, yeah, uh, you know, just that they 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 go out of their way to mention like three times that the the kaiju is in the East China Sea and it's it's up to the to the Chinese to defend it and the East China Sea is something that is contested between Japan, Korea and China. So in terms of like whose territory that is, but the Japanese sort of don't even like enter the equation in terms of that conversation in the movie. Well yeah, and then they, they talk they go from the the kaiju are in the East China Sea and then they immediately turn to the kaiju are going to, to Tokyo, right? And so t- traditionally we would have probably said Sea of Japan. But obviously, mm-hmm. this being a Chinese finance movie, they're going to say East China Sea. Now, I don't. That's obviously a form of pandering. I don't look at it as being a huge deal because, bo- as you mentioned, the three countries that body of water is contested. I'm sure there's a very long, convoluted history about what's happened and how that kind of became what it is. Um, like Russia, for example, does refer to that same body of water as being the Japan Sea. Um, that's something that that is true. And then, like you know, depending on which Korea you go to, they refer to it differently. So, like. That's a thing that exists, and I understand why, because this is going to be playing in China. You're going to hear East China Sea. When it plays in Japan, I'm sure that they will probably make that the Sea of Japan. I can't Dub imagine. It over, yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine they, they wouldn't, right? Um, so that's something that, that Kevin kind of pointed out, which I thought was both kind of terrifying, cool, slash interesting. I don't know. Is it a line that could have been easily ADR'd? Possibly. I mean, there's well, there's like three lines in the course of one scene, but yeah, like uh, within a ninety seconds, they they say it three times. Yeah, it'd be that'd be an interesting. It it though. <clears throat> excuse me. That's an interesting thing that would like, you know, um, would be. It'd, I'd be curious to find out, and it'd be like I don't even know how you would find out, um, like. How does the the Japanese version of Pacific Rim Uprising end up differing from the other versions? You know, like is that line changed? Um, yeah. Well, I, I know. Um, I don't think they did it for this, but like Iron Man three, like, there's a whole there's like whole characters and stuff in that movie that uh, are only in the Chinese version. Oh yeah, they straight up uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters to that. Yeah, they really did. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think it's important to point out when we talk about stuff like propaganda in films, like every country has probably done it. I mean, we did it with Godzilla 85. We made the Russians evil and, and that kind of stuff. So, like, it's something that's a common thing. Um, I think with the whole idea of nationalism now kind of on the rise across the, the world, like, that might be a little more scary. But, like, it's a thing that a lot of movies do and still, do. like, think about uh, Red Dawn, right? Wasn't I, you know, it's the Russians originally, and then I think it's the North Koreans who invade in the second film. So it's like, there are those changes to go with the times, and I think that you could look at that as also being a form of propaganda. And I just want to make that clear. We're not, like, jumping on Pacific Rim Uprising for doing it, but we do want to acknowledge that it did happen. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, it's, hmm... Well, it's important because, like, uh, this movie was made, like, sure, it's a English film because it's a Hollywood property, but, like, this movie was made for the Chinese, like, 
Well, yeah, it made $150 million or whatever the first weekend, and it made like 25 here or something stupid. I don't know if that's... Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, you get the idea. It's making the money there. You're going to pander to that audience a lot more. Transformers <laughs> essentially did the same thing. They added all those, you know, chi- Chinese product tie-ins. There's that one funny scene where like, the guy's drinking of a Chinese juice box that nobody over here would know what it is. Um, yeah, just stuff like that. It's interesting, too, though, like, um, you know... A lot of the, uh, a lot of like the China pandering that that you guys are kind of bringing up has been pointed out in just regular reviews as just being like more tr- the you know more traditional Hollywood um, sensibilities. You know the the military is good. It's more of a militarized movie in general. Um, it's it's not it's people are noticing it um i don't know if that, people are necessarily that, noticing it in context of it being um china pandering you know well for the first movie del toro specifically actively avoided military uh uh glorification and i think this just sort of didn't bother with that so i think that's where the where the difference comes across that, you know, this feels more like an army recruitment video, especially yeah. when you, you got so many like teenage characters in it, as opposed to like, you know, Raleigh's what, like 30 or something. So, <laughs> which might again be a part of why they, you know, just didn't have much Mako in it because you just, you know, the, the old people go, go ahead and retire or die off already. It's time for the, for the new generation. <laughs> <laughs> It's the Lucasfilm approach. <laughs> uh, I, I just want to point out how much uh, John Boyega sounds like Jumbo Yeager. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, if, if he said that with his, if he said it with his accent, you know, it might you might hear that. I think it needs to be reiterated though. Like John Boyega is doing the Lord's work in this film. Like he is by far. Kind of the one. He's carrying the this entire movie actor. on his shoulder. <laughs> yeah, like you have <laughs> you have Charlie Day doing his thing, but like you know, most of the, of the film isn't really focused on him. It's John Boyega like getting us from scene to scene and being funny in some scenes and like just kind of carrying the weight. And because uh, I don't really feel like anybody else um, is able to do that. <laughs> on the other hand, he was a producer on this, and I've also heard that some of the stuff with like the Jaegers being, you know. Uh, faster and and whatnot was his influence. Yeah. I do so. know Boyega was very like he was he was really involved behind the scenes. Like interesting, but I'm, it, it, I I don't think it can be said enough. Like ain't nobody else in this movie a competent actor. Um, <laughs> no, Scott Eastwood looks a lot like his uh, his dad, but he's he's awful. <laughs> like yeah, he's not good. Uh, Amara is not good. Yeah, um, she's like a step below your Transformers adolescent actor. Actress. Yeah. Uh, well, she, apparently you know, she she was like not really a, a like she had maybe one credit before this. So no, it, uh, it doesn't she, she show. Got, <laughs> she she got the the role by auditioning by basically like sending in a tape of her playing around in the garage. So apparently they saw that. And like, well, it looks like she knows how to be in the garage. So <laughs> give her the role. Yeah. That's, I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of the, the teenage actors in this are, are like, you're, you'd expect to see them in like the, the upcoming adaptation of 
the next YA movie, you know, yeah. that is going to be like a giant pile of crap. There's some some there's some really horrifyingly bad actors in this movie. Um, so, again, there's just another little like, oh, there's a, another little way that, you know, the original movie was stupid, done smart, you know. And this is just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's that's a good way to end it. <laughs> that's uh, a fitting closing sentence. But I liked it. <laughs> yeah, but we're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> this movie's something else. <laughs> and uh yeah i mean if i i mean honestly if you're curious if what we say sounds like it's fun go see it if not though honestly like you don't need to see it in theaters you can wait you yeah know, you're unless not you really are curious and really want to see it like i feel like it's it's theater worthy for you know kaiju fans and but it doesn't really appeal to, to many other people yeah i can i can agree with that we we didn't even mention the um that it sort of ends with a tease for like this is what the next film is going to be. Oh, oh yeah, they're pretty. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty confident about that next movie, which uh, <laughs> it sounds like it would be taking place in the precursors dimension, which is another thing uh, Del Toro said. Uh, like when he was making the first one, he was like, "One of the ideas I have for a sequel is going into the other dimension." So I don't know. But all right, but no, uh, this was uh, fun, and uh, thank you all. Is everyone uh, Matt? Uh, you you think we're good to go here? Yeah, man. Let's 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 end it or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks again, everybody, and uh, yeah, yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye.